Gary, would you pray um, for those that have we've been asked to pray specifically for salvation for them, as well as for those um, that are battling addictions, for our missionaries, for TFF, and then our time and the word today, please. do lift up Laura Mark's father and Julie, Mickey, and Jennifer to you, God. I just pray in the name of Jesus, God, that um, Holy Spirit, you would continue to pursue them, God, that they would not turn hard heart towards you, God, and today would be the day of salvation for them, Lord. And Father, we thank you that you are greater than any addiction, that the victory is in you and in you alone, God, and we're speaking that over Christopher and Dustin and Tara and Alicia and David. Nicole and Evan and Nancy and Brenda and Bradley and Tiffany, Justina, Alex, Joelle, Danielle, Father, we're believing in the name of Jesus for freedom for them, God. That they would be restored, Father, to you, to their families, Father, and that there would be no desire, Father, for the continue of self in their lives, God. Father, we lift up Brian and Jennifer to you, Joe and Kijo, and Michael and Megan, TJ and Peter and Molly and Mark and Kelly, God. And I just pray in the name of Jesus for what these individuals have put their hands to, God. Father, that it would be of your will, God, that you would provide for them, Lord, that you would increase their territory, Father, and that many would come to know you from the work that you've called them to, God. So I just pray today, Father, that you would be the lifter of their heads, God, and that they would continue to pursue after you with all that they are. God, I thank you for True Freedom Fellowship, for those, Father, who are joining us online today, God, and those that are here, Father. I just pray in the name of Jesus, God. that we would truly, God, seek you with everything that we have. That, Father, that we would be obedient, Lord, that we would, as a fellowship, stand for truth, would never have a watered-down gospel, Father, and that we would be light, Father, to those in our lives, those that you have put us into contact with, Father, as the days are growing darker, God. And I pray for our time this morning, Father, that it would be pleasing unto you, God. I pray, Father, that we... Lord, would come into your presence with expectancy, Father, and we would receive from you today, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's go into our time of worship. Thank you. 
Thank you, Lord.
Lord, we do thank you, Jesus, that you are the way maker, Father. We thank you for this new day, Lord, and that your mercies are new each morning. We thank you yet for another opportunity to gather. Oh, how I pray, God, that we do not take it for granted. Father, that we can gather together, Lord, and to worship our King. Father, I pray, God, as we open your word this morning, Father, that you would lead us, Lord. The Holy Spirit, you would minister to each one of us, Father. God, I thank you, Lord, that your loving kindness endures forever. And that it's your desire that none should perish, but all would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life. And you're the only way to the Father. We thank you, God, that you are for us and not against us. And we thank you, Father, that no weapon forged against us shall prosper. We thank you, Father, for your discipline. Father, your word says you discipline those you love. And oh, how I pray, oh God, that we would be attentive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, that we would not go our way or be moved by our desires but that, God, that we would walk habitually with you, Lord, so that we may not gratify the desires of our flesh. So, Father, have your way among us and in us and through us this day, I pray. Oh, God, may this time be pleasing unto you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. The first R that we are, there's three R's for this new year. The first one, repentance, is what we're going to focus on today. And we will continue to go through these three R's up until the end of this year. And again, my hope is with these three R's that they would encourage us to grow as believers. Remember, it's not about perfection, but it is about maturing. So the first R, repentance. The action of repenting is sincere regret or remorse. There's some scriptures for us. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins, and look at this, and purify us from all unrighteousness. Acts 3, 19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. And look at this. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 2 Peter 3, 9, and Joel 2, 13, Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Ezekiel 18 verse 32. For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 through 11 for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. 
but worldly sorrow lacks repentance and it results in spiritual death. Scriptures that we've heard since January, we will continue to hear, but oh how I pray they're impacting your life. <clears throat> repentance is vital. In fact, Jesus' ministry is repentance. Repent. Even before Jesus showed up on the scene, the one who was called John the Baptist to prepare the way for Jesus, his message was repent. <laughs> Repentance. You see it all through Scripture from the beginning all the way to the end. Repent. 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 <laughs> you see, we're all sinners. We're all in need of the saving grace of God through His Son, Jesus. Without repentance, we have nothing. We just have a form of religion. Repentance is vital. And isn't it interesting? The enemy understands the importance of a repentance. Why do you think he's working overtime and has worked overtime and will continue to work overtime to hinder people from repenting? When people say they have a right to live and do as they please, they're remaining in rebellion to the loving God who's calling them from darkness into his light. But the enemy whispers, does God really say, can't you do this and can't you have that and can't you be all that you want to be? And we fall prey to the lies of the enemy. We have a misconception, a, a wrong view of God. We see him as the problem. We see him as the one that has a lot of the issues, that he's the one in error. But as I've encouraged us, and as I keep, will continue to encourage us, it's, there's no error found in God. Error is found in us, the created. <clears throat> we long to worship the created instead of the Creator, who is pleased to reveal Himself to us through His Son, Jesus. If God was such a horrible God, He would have never sent Jesus. You see, God loves us, yet though we're in complete rebellion to Him, and His will is that none shall perish. Again, we're all born into sin. And the lie of the enemy keeps us from the presence of God because the lie of the enemy tells us we're no good. And the reality is, we're not. But that state of rebellion, God understands. So God has made a way for us to come back to Him. And it's through Jesus. It's through accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's by having this faith, I mean, this belief and this confession that Jesus is the Son of God and that He is risen from the dead. And again, as I keep encouraging us, that should be the foundation of your walk in Christ, of your new identity in Christ. That alone secures your salvation. The Bible says if you confess, if you believe Jesus is the Son of God and that He rose, he rose from the dead, you're saved. 
Your eyes have been opened. In and of yourself, you wouldn't come to that understanding, but God is pleased to reveal that understanding to you so that you would respond. That you would respond. And as the church, this is the message that we have for the world. We're not angry at the lost. We're not mad at the lost. We're not out to go out there and ruffle feathers in and of of ourselves. Just the message alone will ruffle feathers. Just you living a right life will ruffle feathers. You don't have to purposely go out and try to kick up the dust. No, you just living. The dust is already kicked up because you are a threat to darkness. And I keep reminding us that we are behind enemy lines. And if you are a believer, you better understand that it's not church as it used to be any longer. <laughs> no, we are entering a time on this earth where the church is going to shine bright like never before. Because the world is getting darker, and I keep encouraging us, as the world is getting darker, we should be growing brighter. And if you're not growing brighter, something is wrong. So seek Him while He may be found. There's so much chaos going on in denominations, so much chaos going on within churches. There's so much chaos going on. But listen, don't get caught up in the chaos. Remain caught up in Christ. Seek Him. Serve Him. Love Him with your whole heart. Remain awake. I love what I heard Pastor Mark Driscoll say the other day. He says, the church is to remain awake, not awoke. The culture is woke. The church is awake. And that's so true. We can't just get caught up. We have to remain grounded and rooted in Christ. Because the days are getting more and more evil. There's so many people sitting in churches throughout the earth today struggling with strongholds, with confusion, with sin, whatever that sin may be. Whatever that sin may be. And what are we to do with it? Repent. This is our message. No one is better than anyone else. We all are broken, fallen people apart from Christ. Apart from Christ. In Christ we're whole. In Christ, we've been redeemed. In Christ, we have a new nature. In Christ, we have the victory. In Christ, we understand our position. We are seated with Christ. We're not living at a place of defeat, but we're now growing and understanding that we're living at a place of victory. And we're walking upright amidst a crooked and perverse generation, and yet we are not called to get tainted by it. We once were, but now we're not. And so this is the hope that we have for others who are still enslaved to sin. And why on earth Christians have brought into the watered-down gospel that everything's okay? It is not okay. It is not okay. We must continue to be about our Father's business. 
calling people to repentance. And not just having a form of religion, but true repentance. A turning away from. Having a true sorrow and a remorse. That we understand that He cleanses us from our sins. And again, it's not that you're not going to sin, but as a Christian, sin is not mastering you. You're no longer a slave to sin. And again, I keep reminding us about First John. He says, I write to you so that you would not sin. But if you do, remember your advocate, Jesus. Get up, move on, be restored, be healed. Don't wallow around in the shame and condemnation. Stop listening to the lies of the enemy and the lies you tell yourself. No, get up and press on because you are carrying the banner. You are moving forward. You are honoring God. You are trusting God. And as we read, I believe, Scripture last week or the week before, Scripture is very clear. If you once were, now live the opposite way. If you were a liar, start telling the truth. If you were a thief, stop stealing and now give generously. Start learning. If you were bound by lust, be pure. Whatever it was, whatever it is. The nature in and of yourself is prideful and in rebellion towards God. And everything of this world stimulates it. But you, as Scripture says, sin crouches at your door. It's desires to master you, but you must master it. And the only way that you can is through Christ. In fact, last week we opened up the Word and, and we read about all the different soils of the heart. And the good soil is where we ended up. And oh, how I pray that your heart is of good soil. But here's the understanding. That soil, you can never create it yourself. The good soil only comes from a life in Christ. From a life dependent upon the Holy Spirit. He cultivates it. He draws us. You see, this Christian life is all about Him. And so when we start attaching our desires, the worldly influence, the lies of the enemy to the Christian life. We have destroyed the Christian life because we're no longer in Christ. We're just religious. And we're useless to the kingdom of God. But we're vital for the kingdom of darkness. <clears throat> so you're living out in the manner that you're choosing, representing one kingdom or another, the kingdom of light, which is the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of darkness, which is the kingdom of Satan. And I want us to look at some scriptures today before we open up, you know, uh, us walking through the scriptures, but I want us to look at scriptures to encourage you to keep persevering. And oh, how I pray, Christian, and even if you're not a Christian, you're listening to today. Oh, how I pray that you go and you sit with the Word of God, asking the Holy Spirit to teach you. That you would come to the saving knowledge of Christ, if you, if you haven't come to that knowledge already. That your eyes would be open. 
that you begin to see the eternal truths of God's Word that should be impacting your life, turning you from how you used to live and turning you to Christ and living the way we were created and purposed to live. Go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Again, a lot of scripture. But as I always tell you, I've got just a couple hours with you on Sunday to help you sharpen your sword, to be able to face all that you're going to face in this upcoming day, this upcoming week. And oh, how I pray that the Word of God will encourage you to stand. That after you've done all you know to do, that you would just stand there for then. So John chapter 8, verse 34 through 47. Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God. John 8, 34. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. Jesus' words, you all. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham. And yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. He's speaking to the religious leaders of that day. But just as he would speak to them then, he speaks to us now. Oh, do you have room in your hearts for Jesus' message? He says, I'm telling you what I saw when I was with my father. But you are following the advice of your father. Our father is Abraham, they declared. No, Jesus replied, for if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you are trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you are limited. I'm sorry. But no, you are imitating your real father. They replied, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. And Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me. Because I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It is because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil. And you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is, his, when he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell the truth... So when I tell the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Which of you can truthfully truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone 
who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God, but you don't listen because you do not belong to God. He is confronting the religious. They believe they are right with God. They know, they believe they know God. They, they possess the knowledge of God. And yet Jesus says, your father is the devil. You will not listen. You refuse to hear. And oh God, help us. As it was then, so it is now, so it has been, and so it will be. People will continue to choose to go their way. They like their rebellion more than their freedom. Jesus' words from the beginning, verse 34, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the Son has set you free, you are truly free. Oh, you ought not to be a slave to sin. Again, repentance, it's a lifestyle. It's not just a one-time little prayer. No, it is a lifestyle. You understand that you have been set free. You are not to get entangled again in sin. That's why the Bible tells us, throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. Either we believe God's word or we don't. If he's telling us we are free, then be free. For whatever has held you captive, whatever your flavor of sin was, be free. Stop being tormented by it. Stop allowing it to master you. Know your God, love your God, trust your God. Because he who the Son sets free is free indeed. And I love how the verse ended there. Verse 47, anyone who belongs to God, anyone who belongs to God listens, listen to that, gladly to the words of God. But you don't listen because you do not belong to God. Are you listening to God? Are you hearing His word? Oh, how I pray that you are. Oh, how I pray that you are. I love this quote that I read this week. Here's something to consider. A man possessed by thousands of demons recognized Jesus. Remember the man Legion? But the men possessing thousands of scriptures couldn't. Your church attendance, your Bible study, your posting here and there, you write, you know, praying, you're doing all of the formalities, and yet you don't know Christ because there's no change in your life. You haven't repented. You're still in rebellion. These men possessed Scripture. They understood the Old Testament writings. 
and yet they were oppressing people and they didn't know Christ, the Messiah, was right before them. God help us. God help us that we truly understand what it means to repent. Go to Matthew chapter 22, verse 1 through 36. Matthew 22. Twenty-three. I mean, I don't know if I said twenty-two, but it's twenty-three, one through thirty-six. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, "The teachers of religious law and Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses." So look what he says here. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside and they wear robes with extra long tassels. And they love to sit at the head table and at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplace and to be called rabbi. Don't, call, don't let anyone call you rabbi, for you have only one teacher, and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. And don't address anyone on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your father. And don't let anyone call you teacher, for you only have one teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be a servant. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And oh, listen as he continues. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, hypocrites. For you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves, and you don't let others enter either. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you cross land and sea to make one convert, and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell you yourselves are. Blind guides, what sorrow awaits you? For you say that it means nothing to swear by God's temple, but that it is binding to swear by the gold in the temple. Blind fools? Which is more important, the gold or the temple that makes gold sacred? And you say that to swear by the altar is not binding, but to swear by the gifts of the altar is binding. How blind? For which is more important? The gift on the altar or the altar that makes the gift sacred. When you swear by the altar, you are swearing by it and everything on it. And when you swear by the temple, you are swearing by it and by God who lives in it. And when you swear by heaven, you are swearing by the throne of God and by God who sits on the throne. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law? And you Pharisees, hypocrites, 
for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things, blind guides. You strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like religious people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites. For you bind, so for you build temple tombs for the prophets your ancestors killed, and you decorate the monuments of the godly people your ancestors destroyed. Then you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would never have joined them in killing the prophets. But in saying that, you testify against yourselves that you are indeed the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead and finish what your ancestors started. Snakes, son of vipers, how will you escape the judgment of hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers of religious law, but you will kill some by crucifixion, and you will flog others with whips in your synagogues, chasing them from city to city. As a result, you will be held responsible for the murder of all godly people of the time, from the murder of righteous Abel to the murder of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you killed in the temple before the sanctuary and the altar. I tell you the truth, this judgment will fall on this very generation. This is Jesus, you all. This is Jesus speaking. And somehow we've made him this weird hippie who just passes out hugs and muffins. Everything's fine. Live how you want. Do as you please. Do you understand that you're being taught by Satan himself on who God is if that's how you see Jesus? That everything is okay? That just all live as one? No, we are in the middle of a war. We are in the middle of a war. And how are you living your life? Here Jesus was talking to the religious leaders. They were influencing the culture of their day for God. And they were influencing the culture in the wrong way. They were keeping people from God. So what about you, Christian? What do people see in your life? 
Would Jesus look at you and call you a blind fool, hypocrite? He knows our hearts. Oh, we can't hide from Him. We can try to clean up the outside, but the inside we're wasting away and we're filled with impurity. These are Jesus' words. These men were a stumbling block. He says, you even travel far to win converts and you make them twice as much the son of hell as you are. They thought they were right. They thought they were in right standing with God. Somehow God was pleased with them. Ask yourself, is God pleased with you? You say, well, how do I know? Look at your actions. Look at your thoughts. Look at your life. What's coming from your life? A good tree can't produce bad fruit. And a bad tree can't produce good fruit. And you say, but I, okay, so I'm bad. I've got bad fruit in my life. I'm a hypocrite. Well, then repent. You see, that's the answer. Not to beat yourself up. Not to run from God and hold your fist up against Him. No, humble yourself before Him. Recognize that you are a sinner. Come to Christ. His arms are open. But do not mock Him. Do not trample His blood under your feet and treat it as common as if it's nothing. And they claim that you belong to Him, and yet what others see about you is far from Christ. Because God have mercy. What sorrow awaits you? What sorrow awaits you? Even Jesus Himself tells them, listen to what He's saying here. Do you understand what's coming, you all? I really hope to God we get a visual somehow, way. The Lord just opens up our understanding in our eyes. Do you understand the judgment that's coming to this earth? Do you understand the eternal hell that is waiting for those who are in complete rebellion to God and judgment's first coming to the house of God? The wheat and the tares are growing together. Not everyone's entering in. So why would we continue to go about our lives if we understand the judgment that is coming, the wrath that has been stored up that's about to be released on this earth, and continue to play games, continue to be nonchalant, continue to be like, oh, I'm okay with God. Okay, who cares about if they are? To continue to be bound by sin, your desires, your needs, your wants, your lusts, everything, your bad attitudes, everything is just controlling you. But not the Holy Spirit. What kind of life is that for any of us? Go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. 
scriptures we've seen before, again, that I'm putting back out in front of us in hopes it would encourage us to really focus on the word repentance. And what does that look like for our lives throughout this year? That we're not going to again get to the end of the year and be where we've been. You know, that we lay the foundation of repentance. That we get up and we, and we resolve. We make up our mind to go a different way. And then we are releasing things. Because we recognize that we are free people. We're no longer enslaved to that which controlled us. But in Romans 1, we find God's anger at sin. We're going to pick up at verse 18. But God shows His anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because He has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature. So they have, so they have, hear it again, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they, know, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And they became, I mean, look at this, and they began to think of foolish ideals of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them. Highlight that. Circle that. They did not worship God. They did not want to worship God. They knew God. But they turned from God. God abandoned them. And look at this. To do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. Highlight that. Circle that. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. He turned them over, as we see all throughout Scripture. He's not in error for doing so. Mankind is in error. They're longing more for the created than the Creator. So that is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. 
And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and to let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness or wicked sin. Greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. Look at this. They invent, invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's judge justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. A lot of times, Christians will just focus on the same sex relations that are going on that's being exposed. And they see, well, see, God abandoned them. But don't forget the last part. Look at that there. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They in invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand. Look at this. They break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. And look at the last line. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die. Oh God. Yet they do them anyway. And not, not just this. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. This is scripture right before our very eyes. How is this scripture impacting your life? Before you look at others, you better look at yourself. Do you understand the working of being drawn to Christ God's loving kindness leading you to repentance and what repentance truly is. It's a turning away. It is a cutting away of your flesh. It is the old nature dying. It is Worshipping the living God, the risen God, the true God. And yet I keep seeing all over social media these so-called Christians, these fools, these blind guides, these hypocrites. Running amok in the world. Waving the flags, joining every cause. doing things they ought not to be doing, but yet they do them anyway because they know good and well, they know God's word. 
and that people who live this way deserve punishment, but it doesn't even phase them, and yet they encourage others, just keep living amok. And they lie to them. They're holding a form of religion. And people are being led astray, you all. People are being led astray. Oh, but look at chapter 2 as we continue God's judgment of sin. Verse two, chapter 2, verse 1 through 16. He's writing to the church in Rome. He just laid out God's anger at sin. But before we take our crooked finger and point at everyone else, he goes, you may think you can condemn such people, church, but you are just as bad. And you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in His justice will punish anyone who does such things. In the church, outside the church. Since you judge others who are doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? You see, we are to be different. Not perfect. Not putting ourselves on a pedestal as if we've gained all the knowledge and understanding and pointing at everyone else. No, we're to be right among them, living them, love, living with them, loving them, serving them, thinking of others before we think of ourselves, being Christ-like to them. Because our eyes have been opened. There has been a spiritual transformation that has taken place and it's continually to take place until we are with them. Because again, we're not perfect. But there is a way in which we are called to live. There is a way in which we are called to live. Honoring Christ. Loving Christ. And loving others. We're not to be doing the same things they're doing. We're not to be acting like them, pursuing the, the, the things of this earth, being filled with greed and jealousy and backbiting and gossiping and divisive and just all the junk that comes with the flesh. You we are not to be controlled by the flesh any longer. We're to be controlled by the Spirit. And only you know how you're doing because you can put on the front for everyone else. But oh, how I pray when you take your last breath, you do not hear depart from me. Oh, how I pray that you don't spend an eternity in hell because you remain rebellious towards Christ knowing His truth. Don't you see? Look at verse 4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Again, he's talking to the church. 
They're doing the same thing. They're being influenced by the culture. They're out there running amok with the culture and being instead of being set apart. Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended, oh God, look at this, to turn you from your sin. But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you, oh God, are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. So unless you think because you're sitting in church, you're safe, it's not about that. How's the condition of your heart? Are you a Christian? Are you in Christ? Have you been born again? Because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you're storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and the immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. And that's why I keep challenging us and asking us, why would we trade his love for his wrath? Everyone who is listening to the sound of my voice, rather you're here, rather you're online, you have heard the truth, the judgment, the wrath of God is coming. And God help you if you're saying, go after them, Lord, and you're no different than them. Because you're going to be the first one to be swallowed up in it. And for what reason? Because you're stubborn. You're refusing to repent. Somehow you've made excuses for your life and for your sin. Whatever that sin may be. I keep hearing these testimonies of these LGBTQ people. Oh, how the church has treated us. And the church really hasn't done a good job in addressing sexual sin, not just LGBTQ and all the other letters, but just sexual sin. Because it's running amok in the church. But so is backstabbing. So is gossiping. So is divisiveness. So is uncontrolled anger. Foul language. It's a running them up. And the LGBTQ community is not going to look at the church and be influenced by her when they go, you're no different. Or they'll latch on to some watered-down gospel that they'll try to put their hope in, which is no hope at all because it's not about the risen Christ. Oh, we all better wake up. You know, my heart grieves and breaks when I hear of pastors falling into sexual sin. When I hear about the youth pastor who was just arrested this week, caught having sex with a young girl from his youth group. 
And everyone's quick to point their finger. But yet it's going on. And God forbid if you held held anyone accountable nowadays, they get angry. They feel the rejection. And poor me, everyone has a poor story, sad story of what the church has done to them. And I'm here to tell you, stop pointing your crooked finger at the church and start pointing it at yourself. Because truth is, the bride of Christ, she knows her identity. Truth is, you hunger for the things of God when you come to Christ. Because of Christ, because He drew you to Himself via the Holy Spirit. And so I'm sick and tired of hearing how everyone is angry at the church. Especially when there's no transformation taking place in their lives. For God's sakes, for the first year of my life, I was tossed out of churches. I was being told I was the devil by pastors. No one wanted to have fellowship with me. If anyone wants to have a sad story about how they were treated from the church, oh, I can give you a sad story. But the people did not save me. Christ saved me. And so I hungered for him. I thirsted for him. I got the Bible. I sat down. I read it. I studied. Because he was doing that in me. I wouldn't have done it myself. You wouldn't do it yourself. It's Christ working in and through you. So this is a life to be lived and powered by God to know Him and to love Him. He's begun this work in us. He is faithful to complete it. And we can't try to do it in and of our own strength. And He can't be number two. We don't add Jesus to our life. He's not a good luck charm. He's the living God who is coming to judge the earth. And as I keep telling you, no man can put this book together. No man. Man penned it, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to reveal God to the created. You are created to be with God for eternity. Do not settle to remain separated from Him for eternity. Do you understand? When you're in hell, you're not just dead. Like You don't feel anything. No, you understand you're going to be tormented. Tormented. For eternity, over and over and over, and it's never going to stop. The wrath of God, over and over and over, 
it's over. And do you really think your anger is worth it? Your lust is worth it? Your divisiveness is worth it? The sin that so easily entangles you is worth it because it's mastering you? Because you just say, I'm only human. Oh God, help us. God, help us. And you say, but pastor, we're just going to keep sinning. And God have mercy on you. Because you show me somewhere in this scripture that gives us the right to continue to sin. See, if that is your excuse, you've already set yourself up for failure. Because again, 1 John, I write to you so that you will not sin. But if you do, remember, sin is not to be your master. Because we're reading about God's judgment of sin. We don't make excuses for sin. If you're a new creation, it doesn't fit good on you. It doesn't feel good in you. If you're a new creation, if you've truly been born again, sin doesn't feel good. Oh, it may for that moment, but all that conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit, because he cannot be united with filth, with rebellion towards himself. So you feel the weight of it. So you repent, you get up, and you go a different direction. You learn of him. I had to learn of him. I have to continually to learn of him. I have to apply the truth. Truth has to be lived. It just can't be heard. Because again, God's judgment of sin. He's talking to the church here. He will pour out his anger, verse 8, and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps doing what is evil. For the Jew first and also the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God. For all who do good, for the Jew first, and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never have God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in His sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know His law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts, for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. God's judgment of sin. And we cannot continue to have our excuses. 
Well, Pastor, don't you sin? When I sin, oh God, I feel the weight of it. What am I doing? Get up. Again, read Romans 6. It's not, you're not a slave to it any longer. You're a slave to righteousness. Your old nature doesn't feel good any longer. You're to be a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing and set apart. When you act ugly, stop it. Not by your might, not by your power, but by the Holy Spirit. Seek Him while He may be found. God, I am yours. The reality is, is if you're a Christian, you've been born again, as Scripture tells us, we've nailed the old man, we've nailed the old woman to His cross. We've crucified ourselves there. Do you think upon these things? Daily. That's where the old person is at. The new person is in Christ. There ought to be a hunger for the things of God. I was totally thrilled when I finally, God, by His great loving mercy, opened up a door for me to join a church. You couldn't keep me out of it. Every time those doors were open, I was there ready to learn. I was there ready for fellowship. Pastor Carl, he just taught the word, the word, the word, the word. He didn't put on a show. It was the word, it was the word, it was the word, it was the word. The discipling that took place. I wasn't looking forward to be perfect, but I was looking for people to grow with to mature with. To honor God with. To love God with. To worship God with. Repentance. Go look at (laughs) Romans 3, verse 9. I'm going to read through verse... 31. Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we already have shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away and have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follows them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Obviously, the law applies to those whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses, oh God, and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Oh, but here's the good news. Out of all that we've heard this morning, there's good news. 
Repentance isn't a bad thing. When you feel the weight of conviction, turn to God. Run to God. Don't listen to the lie of the enemy that keeps you from God. No, come to God with all your junk, with all your mess, with all your lust. I mean, if I believed what I was told since I was a boy, how much God hated me, which I believed when I was lost, but in the moment that God was pleased to reveal himself to me, I can go to him and say, oh, what a bad God you are. You hate me. I didn't go, oh, look how horrible I am. No, no, no. In that moment, when God reveals himself to you, you humble yourself. You go, oh, God, yes, I am a sinner. But yet, you're pleased to reveal yourself to me? Like you respond. I've been watching these baptisms and these testimonies. Because I told you last week, there is a move going on around the earth. People are wakening up to the things of God. Oh, there's a hunger like we've never seen before. Again, as the world is getting darker, the church, she's wakening up. She's becoming brighter. And I'm looking at these drug addicts. I'm looking at this adulterous woman. I'm looking at these homosexuals. I'm looking at this one woman who is just full of greed and, 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 and just filth and just all this stuff. And yet they're sharing their testimonies. How God is delivering them. How God is setting them free. And the theme that I'm seeing is that they weren't even looking for God. And it reminds me of scripture. When the banquet is being told. And everyone was too busy to come to the feast. So the master said, go out to the highways and byways. Bring them in. Oh, we're beginning to see a shift taking place in the church culture. People are waking up. God is bringing people to himself. And they're on fire for God. They love God. They're hungry for God. They're seeking God because they recognize in and of myself, I wouldn't be here. I don't got time to put on a show for people. I don't have time just to make it just here and there. No, it's all that I am. It's everything. That's how it should be for all of us. He is to be your all in all. All in all. He loves us. And as we transition into the last part, verse 21, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with Him. Listen to that. Highlight that. Circle that. Without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Look at this. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ to do the work in you and through you? It's all about faith, you all. It's not about religious service, holding a form of religion, but it's all about faith. I've been thinking over my own life, 
and over the lives of people that I know. And how faith, just by faith, just by believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that He's risen from the dead, I'm telling you, that should alter, that should shake you to your very core, because that is your belief and that is your confession. And when you know Him for truly who He is, it transforms your life. Like something like you've never experienced before. Yes, you're going to have ups and downs, left and right. You're going to be pushed here and there. You're going to feel the weight of all the craziness, but it's okay. God is good, and God is great, and God is for you. He's not against you. He knows the plans that He has for you. You get to learn to trust Him and to know your God. To know your God. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done. (laughs) For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. God in His grace. There's no error found in God. God, by His grace... (laughs) Freely makes us right in his sight. He did this, how? Through Christ Jesus, when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in past times. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. And look at this, oh God. And he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's not based on doing good works. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all of this, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of Gentiles? Of course he is. There is only one God, and He makes people right with Himself only by faith. Whether they are are Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize emphasize faith, does does this mean that we forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. Listen, Jesus didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill it. And when you are born again, your identity is in Christ. That is what you're growing in, you're maturing in. This new identity. The one who has called you out of darkness into marvelous light. The one who has freely laid his life down for you. 
Not that you would continue to run amok in this world that is against Him. Guard your heart. Guard your mind. Remain in Christ. Abide in Christ. For apart from Him you can do nothing. Go to James chapter 2. I know it's a lot this morning. I don't feel bad anymore like I used to. Like, oh, this is a lot. No. A couple hours, maybe three the most with people. James chapter 2, verse 14. Am I going to feel bad for feeding the Word? For serving up the Word? Because I don't know if you step out of here or you turn off your laptop and that's your last day on this earth. (laughs) Oh, how I pray that you're right with God. That you know your God. That you love your God. That you're living for God. That you understand that sin is not to be entertained. Sin is not allowed to master you. That you're not making excuses for sin. That you understand that if you're claiming Christ, you understand how destructive it is. And that's why I keep reminding you you're behind enemy lines. You ought to be getting up each day, putting on the armor of God, going about your day, being Christ-like, living as a Christian, honoring Christ, Loving Christ, serving Christ, loving others, serving others. Not just going along with people because that's what they want to say, that's what they want to do. You're holding up a standard wherever you go. And no, yes, people are not going to like you. But it's okay. They hated him. But chapter 2 of James, verse 14 Verse 14, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless, oh God, highlight this, circle this, unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish! Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestors Abraham, our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. 
And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteousness because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, O oh God, so also faith is dead without good works. You're not saved by good works. You're saved by faith. And your faith ought to be producing good works within your life because you're a different person. And that's why I said earlier, you can have all the faith in the world. But if you haven't repented, if you haven't received Christ, if you haven't been born again, it's useless. It's useless. It's of no value. It is no worth. So don't be among those who are sitting in the church and all they are is, are superstitious. Because superstition is just going to lead you to hell. You want to be born again. You want to know your God. You want to love your God. You want to allow your God to transform your life. He takes that which was broken and He restores it. He takes that which is perverted and He purifies it. He takes that which just runs its mouth over and over and over and tames that tongue. He does good works in us and through us for His sake, for His purpose, by His power, ultimately for His glory. It's all about Him. That's why you are to die to yourself. You're no longer to be living. It is Christ living in and through you. And it's time that the church wakes up. It's time that those who are sitting in the church wake up. Now we know ultimately not everyone is going to. Because again, the wheat and the tares, they grow together. But there's a day of coming. There's a day of coming. When all would have to give an account to the living God. Go to Samuel. First Samuel, chapter 10. Walking through our scriptures to know our God. That's why we do this. To learn of our God. You can see Him. His character doesn't change. From Genesis all the way to the Revelations, He's God. His purpose to have a people that He will call His own and in return they will call Him their God. That they would live for Him. He set aside the Israelites and this time on the earth for Himself. And yet all they wanted to do was be like all the other nations. As it is, the church is set apart from Him and the church should not be craving what's out there in the culture. Intermingling with the culture. Adapting to the culture. Samuel, the prophet, <coughs> has just ran into Saul. Remember, we left off with the people of Israel coming, demanding a king. We want to be like the other nations. God said to 
Samuel, give them a king. They don't want me. Then Samuel chapter 10 took a flask of oil, of olive oil, and poured it over Saul's head. He kissed Saul and said, I'm doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be the ruler over Israel, his special possession. When you leave me today, you will see two men besides Rachel's tomb at Zelka, on the border of Benjamin. They will tell you that the donkeys have been found and that your father has stopped worrying about them and is now worried about you. He is asking, have you seen my son? When you get to the oak of Tabor, Tabor, you will see three men coming toward you who are on their way to worship God at Bethel. One will be bringing three young goats, another will have three loaves of bread, and a third will be carrying a wineskin full of wine. They will greet you and offer you two of the loaves which you are to accept. When you arrive at Gilba of God, where the garrison of the Philistines is located, you will meet, you will meet a band of prophets coming down from the place of worship. They will be playing a harp and a tambourine and a flute and a lair, and they will be prophesying. At that time, the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them. You will be changed, oh God, into a different person. Highlight that. Circle that. Unless you think I'm just a crazy nut. Whenever the Spirit of the Lord comes upon anyone, Old Testament, New Testament, they're changed. They're changed. And in this moment, Samuel is making, giving Saul an understanding. After these signs take place, do what must be done, for God is with you. Then go to Gilgal ahead of me. I will join you there to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. You must wait for seven days until I arrive and give you further instructions. As Saul turned and started to leave, God gave him a new heart. And all of Samuel's signs were fulfilled that day. When Saul and his servant arrived at Gilgal, they saw a group of prophets coming towards them. Then the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul, and he too began to prophesy. When those who knew Saul, oh look at this, heard about it, and they exclaimed, What? Is even Saul a prophet? How did the son of Kish become a prophet? Oh, don't expect the old crowd to go along with you. And one of those speaking there said, Can anyone become a prophet, no matter who his father is? So that is the origin of the saying, Is even Saul a prophet? When Saul had finished prophesying, he went up to the place of worship. Where, he, where, where have you been, Saul's uncle asked him and his servant. We were looking for the donkeys, Saul replied, but we couldn't find them. So we went to Samuel to ask him where they were. Oh, and what did he say, his, uncle's at, his uncle asked? He told us that the donkeys had already been found, Saul replied. But Saul didn't tell his uncle what Samuel said about the kingdom. Later, Saul called all the people of Israel to meet before the Lord at Mizpah. And he said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, has declared. I brought you from Egypt and rescued you from the Egyptians and from all the nations that were oppressing you. 
But though I have rescued you from your misery and distress, you have rejected your God today and said, No, we want a king instead. Now therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by tribes and clans. So Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel before the Lord, and the tribe of Benjamin was chosen by Lot. When he brought each family of the tribe of Benjamin before the Lord, the family of the Matanites was chosen. And finally Saul, son of Kish, was chosen from among them. But when they looked for him, he had disappeared. So they asked the Lord, where is he? And the Lord replied, he is hiding among the baggage. So they found him and brought him out, and he stood head and shoulders above everyone else or anyone else. Then Samuel said to all the people, This is the man the Lord has chosen as your king. No one in all Israel is like him. And all the people shouted, Long live the king! Then Samuel told the people what the rights and duties of the king were. He wrote them down on a scroll and placed it before the Lord. Then Samuel sent the people home again. When Saul returned to his home at Gilba, a group of men whose hearts God had touched went with him. But there were some scoundrels who complained. How can this man save us? And they scorned him and refused to bring him gifts. But Saul ignored them. Nahash, king of the Amorites, had been grievously oppressing the people of Gad and Reuben, who lived on the east of the Jordan River. He he gouged out the right eye of each of the Israelites living there, and he didn't allow anyone to come and rescue them. In fact, all of the Israelites east of the Jordan, there wasn't a single one whose right eye, Nahash, had not gouged out. But there were 7,000 men who had escaped from the Amorites, and they had settled in Jabesh Gilead. A month later, King Nahash of Ammon led his army against the Israelite town of Jabesh Gilead. But all the citizens of Jabesh asked for peace. Make a treaty with us, and we will be your servants, they pleaded. All right, Nahash said, but only on one condition. I will gouge out the right eye of every one of you as a disgrace to all of Israel. Give us seven days to send messengers throughout Israel, replied the elders of Jabesh. If no one comes to save us, we will agree to your terms. How interesting is that? When the messengers from Gibeath of Saul came to Saul and told the people about their plight, everyone broke into tears. Saul had been plowing a field with his oxen. And when he returned to the town, he asked, What's the matter? Why is everyone crying? So they told him about the message from Jabesh. Then the Spirit of the God of God came powerfully yet again upon Saul. And he became very angry. He took two oxen and cut them into pieces and sent the messengers to carry them throughout of Israel, throughout Israel with this message. This is what will happen to the oxen of anyone who refuses to follow Saul and Samuel into battle. And the Lord made the people afraid of Saul's anger, and all of them came out together as one. When Saul mobilized them at Bizek, he found that there were 300,000 men from Israel and 30,000 men from Judah. So Saul sent the messengers back to Jabesh Gilead to say, We will rescue you by noontime tomorrow. There was a great joy throughout the town when the message arrived. The men of Jabesh then told their enemies, Tomorrow we will come out to you and you can do to us whatever you wish. But before dawn the next morning, Saul arrived. Having divided his army into three detachments, he launched a surprise attack against the Amorites 
and slaughtered them the whole morning. The remnant of the army was so badly scattered that no two of them were left together. Then the people exclaimed to Samuel, Now where are those men who said, Why should Saul rule over us? Bring them here and we will kill them. But Saul replied, No one will be executed today, for today the Lord has rescued Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us all go to Gilgal to renew the kingdom. So they all went to Gilgal, and in a solemn ceremony before the Lord, they made Saul king. Then they offered peace offerings to the Lord and to Saul, and all of the Israelites were filled with joy. This may be the only time that you see Saul doing what is right. He ends up becoming a crazed man. God help us. God help us. If you're going to start strong, remain. Praise be to God in the New Testament, the birth of the church, the Holy Spirit fills the believer. If you're, if you're a believer, if you've been born again, God in you, Christ says himself, I have to go away so that he will come, the Holy Spirit. So it's not by our mind, nor by it's by our power, but it's by the Spirit of God in us. We're to walk with the Spirit continually so that we don't gratify the desires of the flesh. We're told that we're not to live lives that grieve the Holy Spirit. So let us know our God, you all. Let us respond to our God and to what He has begun in us and allow Him to have full access, full access to our hearts and to our lives. We've got nothing to hide from Him. We don't need to be bound by shame and condemnation any longer. The weight of sin is not to oppress you any longer. You have been liberated. And may we respond as people of God has responded throughout the centuries and will continue to respond that the Lord God Himself is our God and we are His people. Go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Verse 43 through 71. But Jesus replied, Stop complaining about what I said. For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will rise, raise them up. As it is written in Scripture, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from Him comes to me. Not that anyone has ever seen the Father, only I who sent who was sent from God, have seen him. Jesus' words, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. And Jesus said again, 
I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Many of his disciples said, This is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining, so he said to them, Does this offend you? Then what will you think of what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing, and the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, That is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you going to leave? And Simon Peter, Lord, replied, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus said, I chose the twelve of you, but one is the devil. He was speaking of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, one of the twelve who would later betray him. Oh, God, those are hearts, you all. God knows those who belong to Him. And He knows those who would turn from Him. He is the bread of life. We are to hunger for Him, not for the temporal things. The Israelites settled for the manna. These people were still wanting temporal bread instead of understanding the spiritual explanation that Jesus was given. When you're born again, you're born of the Spirit. You are to abide in Him. You are to remain in Him. Apart from Him, you can do nothing. Jesus will fulfill all your needs. All your desires. He fulfills you. You are complete in Christ. Isn't isn't He enough for you? Why must you continue to find your fullness or your security in the temporalness of this life? Here today, gone tomorrow. Your identity is in Christ. It's not in your marriage. It's not in your job. It's not in this or in that. It is in Christ. And that is where a believer ought to remain rooted in Christ. Go to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. Uh, Give thanks to the Lord. 
for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others He has redeemed you from your enemies. For He has gathered the exiles from many lands, from east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in wilderness, lost and homeless, hungry and thirsty. They nearly died. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble, and He rescued them from their distress. He led them straight to safety, to a city where they could live. Let them praise the Lord for His great love and for the wonderful things He has done for them. For He, look at this, satisfies the thirsty and He fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness and deepest gloom, imprisoned in iron chains of misery. They rebelled against the words of God, scorning the counsel of the Most High. That is why He broke them with hard labor. They fell and no one was there to help them. Lord, help! They cried in their trouble and He saved them from their distress. He led them from the darkness, come on, and deepest gloom. He snapped their chains. Let them praise the Lord for His great love and for wonderful things He has done for them. For He broke down their prison gates of bronze. He cut apart their bars of iron. Some were fools. They rebelled and suffered for their sins. They couldn't stand the thought of food. And they were knocking on death's door. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble. And he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, snatching them from the door of death. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and sing joyfully about his glorious acts. Some went off to sea in ships, plying the trade routes of the world. They too absorbed, observed the Lord's power and action, His impressive works on the deepest seas. He spoke and the winds rose, stirring up the waves. Their ships were tossed to the heavens and plunged again to the depths. The sailors cringed in terror. They reeled and staggered like drunkards and were at their wit's end. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble. And oh my goodness, He saved them from their distress. He calmed the storm to a whisper and stilled the waves. What a blessing was that stillness as he brought them safely into harbor. Let them praise the Lord for his great love, for the wonderful things he has done for them. Let them exalt him publicly before the congregation and before the leaders of the nation. He changes rivers into deserts and springs of water into thirsty land. I'm sorry, and springs of water into dry, thirsty land. He turns the fruitful land into salty wastelands because of the wickedness of those who live there. But he also turns deserts into pools of water, the dry land into springs of water. He brings the hungry to settle there and to build their cities. They sow their fields, plant their vineyards, and harvest their bumper crops. How he blessed them. They raise large families there, and their herds of livestock increase. When they decrease in number and become impoverished, impoverished, they're oppressed through oppression, trouble, and sorrow. The Lord pours contempt on their princes, 
causing them to wander in trackless wastelands. But he rescues the poor from trouble and increases their families like flocks of sheep. The godly will see these things and be glad, while the wicked are struck silent. Those who are wise will take all this to heart. They will see in our history the faithful love of the Lord. Oh, what a psalm. I hope y'all will go back and just meditate through. This is how you're to be living. Don't let sin keep you from God. Run to God. Cry out to God. He's merciful. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. He's filled with compassion. Don't you dare listen to the lie of the enemy that makes him anything else. Run to him. Cling to him. Acknowledge him. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. He's faithful, you all. But we've got to stop making excuses. We've got to stop remaining remaining apart from Him when we are called to be in Him. Go to Proverbs. I'm ending here. Proverbs 15, verse 1 through 3. Three nuggets of wisdom for you. You've got a lot this morning. And oh God, I pray that you go and you just sit down this week. Join us on Wednesday night to go deeper. 15, chapter, chapter 15, 1 through 3. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words makes tempers flare. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing, but the mouth of a fool belches out foolishness. The Lord is watching everywhere, keeping his eye on both the evil and the good. I wanted to close before I... I play our last song of worship. I was so moved by this testimony. I posted it on Facebook. But I wanted to read it just to remind us. These are the last words that this man said to his wife. If God is willing to take away my life, it is His will. If God wants to save me, He will save me. No matter what happens to me, you should not give up your faith in Jesus. In difficulties, you must continue to follow Jesus. Our Lord is able to provide for you even if my life is taken away. Condi said this to his wife, Bindi, moments before he was dragged out of his house and killed by a group of armed men. Because he was a Christian. I read testimonies. I hear what's going on throughout the earth to Christians. And I go, God, thank you, first and foremost, for your faithfulness, but for their love for you. They inspire me to not grow complacent to not treat my Christianity lightly, like, oh, whatever, here today, gone tomorrow. No, they understand what it means to be born again, to love the Lord, their God, with their very being. 
These were the man's last words to his wife. For he was drug out and brutally beaten to death. What joy the Bible says it is to be persecuted for your faith. Oh, I don't feel sorry for him or for his wife. I feel sorry for us in the West that we treat our Christianity, our faith so lightly. I mean, they're living it. They're experiencing it. So I pray for an awakening for us here in the West to grasp what it means to truly know our God because He is moving in a way like we have never seen before upon this earth, leading up until His return. So oh, that we will live lives that give Him glory. Oh, that we will live lives, repentant lives, that we would truly be born again that we would truly know him, that we are know our identity in him, and that we would be making a difference in our generation for such a time as this. Let's close in worship, and then I'll close this in prayer.